0: Hey, good to be with you guys this morning. Let's give some love to the Ventura campus. Give some love to them. Well, um, I was supposed to be ending my sabbatical today, uh, two months off, that you guys graciously gave me from the pulpit. And today was supposed to be my, my first time back in the pulpit and we are gonna be starting uh, Ephesians and studying that verse by verse, chapter by chapter together. Um, But the leadership of the church has seen fit to relieve me of my pulpit duties for a little longer, and uh, I'm extremely grateful for that. The situation with Daisy is difficult and dire and uh, doesn't seem to be getting any easier And so I'm really grateful to the leadership of this church that has suggested take some more time off uh, to minister to your family and deal with Daisy. Daisy's being treated down in Los Angeles, so we're going back and forth down there and uh, spent last weekend in the hospital, her getting chemo there and everything, and we may be seeking treatment in Israel shortly, so we may be going there for an extended period of time. So I'm just really thankful for the leadership that's giving us this time. And I'm thankful for you guys as a church because I feel also the release from you. I trust that you guys are good with that. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that really has made it all about Jesus and not a speaker. That when you come to church, your concern is not who's teaching the Bible, it's Jesus and his glory and drawing near to him. I'm very thankful to be a part of a church that has matured to that place such as you guys have. And that gives me great comfort when I'm out of the pulpit to know that. When the leadership of the church decided to give me some more time away from the pulpit, Pastor G and I began to pray about what we ought to do. Uh, I knew that we wanted some of the church planters to teach again, and so we got the church planters praying. Pastor G and I began to pray and seek the Lord. We always want to hear from the Lord about what we're going to teach, and we felt the Lord leading us to do a um, verse-by-verse teaching through Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is one of those go-to passages, you know, chapters of the Bible in difficult times, and so many of us are experiencing difficult times, and when one of us suffers, we all suffer, and I think we'll really learn to draw near to the Lord and trust the Lord. Um, in a new and deeper and more profound ways. We're going through Psalm 23, so we're going to be in it for a few weeks. We're going to have some of the church planners here, Tim from Reality LA. We're going to have Dave Lomas from Reality San Francisco. Al Abdullah from Reality yet to be announced (laughs) will also be teaching. And uh, Francis Chan will be coming back for two weeks in a row as well to wrap the Psalm up for us. So I think the Lord is going to speak to us in a wonderful way. Um, I appreciate the love and the prayers you've showered on our family during this time. You guys bring us great comfort and joy and we love you deeply. Ventura Campus, I'm saying that to you as well, we love you guys deeply. This morning, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Our firstborn child is back this morning you know, our firstborn is Reality Los Angeles, is a church, that's the first church that we birthed, and uh, Pastor Tim, and I'm just really thankful that he would be here this morning. Pastor G is down in his pulpit while he's here. Tim is a man that I respect and admire as a Bible teacher, as a pastor, he's an incredible pastor. He's one of my best friends on the face of the earth. Um, It's one of the set of arms that I run to when I'm brokenhearted and always find the Lord in his arms. So I think we'll find the Lord as he teaches us from Psalm 1 this morning. Pastor Tim.
1: Really thankful to be here with you here at Carpinteria, and you, ladies and gentlemen, down at the Ventura campus. I I love this church so much. I mean, Britt's one of my dearest friends. Um, he too has been the arms to which I've run and bald in his arms, and um, and even with this church. I just coming here today. I just I feel like it's really part of a family. Um, we, we sensed that for the first time ever in the Christian church when we were sent out from here to plant uh, L.A. I remember crying right down there. I cry a lot, whatever. Britt calls me like, I'm not going to tell you what he calls me. Anyway, um, but just feeling the connection to all of you as a family. And so I'm just so thankful to, to be here. And I'm really thankful to teach Psalm 23. And, and if you have a Bible, turn there, please. Psalm 23, I think it would be good every week to read the whole psalm since it's so so short. We're going to be looking just at the first verse this morning, a psalm that I, I assume most of you would be able to recite by memory. Psalm 23, Psalm of David, he writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray once more. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness and your goodness and your care and your concern that you extend graciously towards us wandering, straying, lost, fragile sheep. Thank you that it is into your arms that we can run. And I pray for those who have not yet experienced the shepherd of Psalm 23 that Today, they would experience you for the first time. And for those of us that may be so familiar with these words, I pray that they would become more true and more real than they ever have been in our lives. For your name's sake in our good and comfort, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak so mightily through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's a story, I'm not sure where it originated from, but it's a story about a Shakespearean actor who years ago in England would give this grand performance, and of course he was so eloquent, and at the end of every one of his performances, uh, uh, it was culturally acceptable back then, he would recite Psalm 23, and him being an actor, he was dramatic, and uh, I know a little something about that living in LA for a few years now um drama but anyway they they know how to say things they, they know where to enunciate they, they know how to say it and and at the end of every performance he would read this psalm this 23rd psalm and the whole crowd would applause and and on one occasion there was a young man there and he came up to this actor and he said pardon me but may I read the 23rd psalm and the actor looked at him and thought, Oh, well, who's this kid? You know, he, he can't outact me. He can't outshine me. It'll only make me look better. So he let him and he let this young man get on stage and he read the 23rd Psalm and he stuttered and didn't speak it very well. But by the end of his reading, there was no applause. There was only tears. The audience was so deeply moved and the, the actor went to this young man and said, I don't understand. I've been doing Psalm 23 for years. I know it so well. And the young man replied to him and said, you know Psalm 23, but I know the shepherd. And that is my concern as we read this Psalm is I, I, I think most in here, even if you weren't raised in, a, in any kind of a religious background, you know Psalm 23. It's quoted in songs. It's quoted in, in films. And, and, and my concern is not that we know Psalm 23, but that we know the shepherd of Psalm 23. I mean, as I've been praying this week and as we began to to pray about what to teach and the 23rd Psalm was put on the table, um, I know for myself, I said, Lord, I don't want to just know Psalm 23. I want to experience Psalm 23. And I'm sure all of you would be there with me. So that that has been my question in studying is how can we experience the shepherd of Psalm 23? How can we encounter him? It's read so often and it's so familiar, but how do we even know if it applies to us? I mean, so many people find comfort in these words, and yet how do we even know? I mean, who are we, if I may be so bold as to say, who are we to even apply these things to us? How can this comfort so many people? What is it actually saying, and is it even for us? For this is not a general experience that David is writing of here. It's a very personal one. So here are several things that, that I see as we look at the first verse of this beautiful psalm. Charles Spurgeon called it the pearl of the psalms. If we are to experience this psalm, it will consist of finding yourself, finding God, and finding comfort in it. If we want to experience Psalm 23, you must find yourself in it. You must find God in it, and you must find comfort in it. So first of all, if you want to 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 experience what is being written of here. First of all, you need to find yourself in this psalm. You need to see yourself in this psalm. This is not some general, broad experience. You must see yourself in it. And the best way in which you can do that is to understand yourselves as sheep. I mean, I know that's not very profound, but that's the way in which we must approach this. And of course, King David himself, when he was younger, was a shepherd he, he knew what it was to, to take care of sheep, and, and, you know, it's kind of sad that, that, I don't know, you know, maybe some of you grew up in the church, but do you remember those really cheesy children's Bibles where it never tells you anything bad in the Bible, it only tells you the good things, I mean, it really only gives you half of Psalm 23. There's no valley of the shadow of death, you know, and, and usually the picture, you know, it's got its gold binding. And I remember seeing a picture when I was little of this, this, this man, you know, just all muscular. And, and he was somewhere that was certainly not the Middle East, you know, it was more like Hawaii. And he had like, he had a perm and it was blonde and he had blue eyes. And, you know, and as I read the Bible later, I'm like, okay. You know, this, this has nothing to do with the Bible. but And, and most people, that, that's what they picture. This is perfect, idyllic scene. And there's just this sheet of water. And, and there's no danger anywhere. But, but if we were true to the psalm, if we understood what it meant to be a shepherd and to have sheep, we would know that it wasn't like that. It was very difficult. It was, it was very hard. And David knew this well as he wrote these words for sheep, I mean, I don't know much about sheep. I don't know if many people in California do, but if we know anything about sheep, we know that they're fragile. I mean, I don't know what comes to your mind. I mean, I watch a lot of kids' stuff, you know, because I'm a dad and I know that, um, you know, many of you who have kids do. And, you know, we watch all these claymation things and there's this one with all these sheep and, and, and they did such a good job at making these little claymation sheep look so pathetic, like their legs were like one inch tall, and you're like, you know, they can't even walk and they like fall over and can't get up. And 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 I thought, what a good picture. But that's us. We are so fragile and helpless and exposed to danger. And as the wolf comes in and as the elements, you know, as the storm comes, I mean, we're just these little sheep, with these little one-inch legs, we just can't do anything. I mean, do you see yourself as a straying, wandering, lost, helpless, fragile sheep? I know that's offensive to some of you. You think, no, I've got it. Sure, yeah, 23rd Psalm, whatever, but, but I'm fine. I've got it. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. But, but if you're going to experience Psalm 23, you need to know that you are that sheep. You've strayed from the shepherd. The Bible describes our condition, all of us, regardless of what background, as lost sheep. Lost, exposed to the effects of sin. Rebellion in our own hearts towards God. Exposed to Satan, who Jesus described as the one who wants to eat you, destroy you, consume you. Surrounded by false shepherds who don't really care about you. Jesus described them as hirelings, that you're only a means to an end. And if anyone in this life cares for you apart from God, you're only seen as a means to a greater end. If we're going to experience this psalm, we need to realize that we're like sheep. We cannot care for ourselves. We are in need of provision, we are in need of guidance. Do I understand, do you understand yourself to be lost like a sheep if it were not for God? Can you honestly say here today, and this is really a summary of Christianity. Christianity is not, I've got it all together, I'm a good person. Christianity is, God, if it were not for you, you can't even leave me alone for like five seconds and I'm gone I mean, that's what happens. There's like, eh, you know, just gone. Five seconds. If the shepherd's eyes were not on me, if his rod and his staff were not comforting me, I'd be lost. I mean, do you see yourself there? Do, Do I really see myself there? You cannot experience Psalm 23 if you do not think that you are in need today. How can you? How can you trust in God if you trust in yourself? How how can you be found if you don't see yourself to be lost? How can you be brought back if you don't see yourself as straying and wandering? How will you know that you will never lack with God if you don't think that you lack without him? If you don't understand yourself As a sheep in need today, you will certainly not trust God as a shepherd. You might read these words, and there may be some kind of vague sentimentality that goes with it. Maybe it was read at a funeral, as it often is. I just performed a funeral yesterday, and I taught from this passage. And yet, there are many who do not trust the shepherd of this psalm. I mean... Kind of just an experiment, but if that's your position, or at times, even for the Christian, we can function like that. Sure, you'll check the box. Do you believe in the shepherd of Psalm 23? Yes, I believe that there is one God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but are you acting like it? And sometimes we even act like this, and so one of the things I I did this week is is what if I were to read Psalm 23 in purely individualistic terms without God? You know, without this divine comfort. And I just want to show you the irony. So I I rephrased it. So I guess you could call this the atheist psalm. So let me just read it. And let me ask you if if you find any comfort in it. I am my own shepherd and I shall not want. I make myself lie down in green pastures. I lead myself beside still waters. I restore my own soul. I lead myself in paths of righteousness for my name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I'm with me. My rod and my staff, I comfort myself. I prepare a table before myself in the presence of my enemies. I anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in my own house forever. Does that bring you any comfort? No, no. Okay, just in case you didn't know what the answer was. (laughs) That's ridiculous. And yet, we often give ourselves this false confidence. And what it comes down to is that's exactly what's happening so often is our confidence is found elsewhere, in something else. And that is really one of the reasons why you may not find yourself in this psalm is you feel like you don't need it. So where is your confidence? Confidence? when you have to pass through the valley of the shadow of death? I mean, it it is a sad thing that it takes a funeral to, to wake some people up. Where is your confidence when you lack, when enemies surround you? The first step to enjoying the confidence of this psalm is to know and understand that you are a sheep in desperate need of a shepherd lost without a shepherd so would you be able to say today honestly I am foolish I mean I think that's what's being communicated to us Charles Spurgeon said of this psalm no man can learn to trust in divine providence until he learns to distrust himself one of the things that God does throughout scripture is to destroy our false confidence it's all over the Bible You know, sometimes they'll put a title above Psalm 23 and saying, what is is it about? And people will say, well, Psalm 23 is a psalm of confidence. Well, yes and no. The Bible's a little bit ambivalent about confidence, faith, and trust. It depends on what you put it in. We could be confident in the wrong thing. This, This psalm is really about the shepherd and the confidence that results in knowing him. The Bible doesn't praise confidence itself. You know, people will often say to you, they've said to me, well, you have such great faith. I really admire your faith. And I'm like, well, what do you, what do you mean? I mean, I could, be, I could have faith in something ridiculous. What do you mean you admire my faith? You know, let me present to you God. Okay, I mean, that's the proper answer. You know, some of you are like, I know. Like, okay, that's fail. Okay, that's not the right answer. The right answer is let me show you my God. Experiencing this psalm starts and continues by recognizing that we are hopeless, lost, wandering, so much so that you cannot even be left alone for a moment. I I wonder if I get that. I wonder if you realize that. It's kind of like men. Okay, men, you can't be left alone for two seconds. It's never good. It's not good for a man to be alone. So you understand that i mean we're all like that we can't be left alone for a moment and that's the beginning to experience a psalm but but then it leads us to finding god in the psalm and we do that by recognizing him as shepherd he begins this these beautiful words with the lord is my shepherd i shall not want David, of course, using the Yahweh, the, 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 the name of the covenantal God, the, the God of Israel, the Lord, not just some random God, not some tribal deity, uh, not some thought, not, not some form of science or crystals or what, whatever people believe in today, the Lord, the covenant God of Israel, he is my shepherd. Now, this is fascinating because how do you normally think about God? I mean, I think in one moment we may think of him in his power and in his sovereignty, or, or you may think of him as, as king, but here we see him as shepherd. And before we just go into pastoral terms only, which is a wonderful picture of the shepherd there with his sheep, we must understand that the way that the Bible uses that term shepherd goes even beyond that. In fact, one of the ways a ruler was described in the Bible, a king, a sovereign, was as a shepherd. We even see it in Genesis. When Jacob recalls the very difficult days of his life and he calls to mind God in Genesis 48, he says, God has been my shepherd. We're told that later on the rulers of Israel were to be the shepherds of Israel. So it was bound up in the position of having authority and ruling in 2 Samuel when David was made king. The people said to David, shepherd us. So this term speaks of a ruler. And the only one who can truly rule over everything is God. For he is God, there there is no other. And if he is God, if he is the Lord my shepherd. It means he is all powerful. He's omnipotent. He's the creator of the universe. He sustains the universe. This God is all powerful, which is both comforting and frightening. It's frightening because of this. Look throughout human history. What do you think of when you think of people in power? It's usually not good. When we think of people who have enjoyed power, I mean, let's even just think of the last 100 years. Who are the people in our history in the last 100 years have had power? I think of Stalin. I think of Mao. I think of Hitler. People who who had this, though it seemed to be at that time, this, this unbridled power. And let me ask you, did they use it for the good of their people? Was anyone in Russia saying Stalin is my shepherd? I read a book about Stalin and and, um, it was said to the children during those days, during the Soviet days, the children were taught nursery rhymes. And in that book I was reading, a nursery rhyme was quoted to children, like three, four, five, six-year-old Russian boys and girls to say, when I am alone, remember Stalin. When I need provision, remember Stalin. Okay, that's demonic in biblical categories. But the reason we, we, we cringe when we think of someone with absolute power is because perhaps some of us think of that famous quote, even if you didn't know where it was from, the famous Lord Acton once said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's why we have democracy. Not that democracy is a better form, but as one British man said, well, democracy is better because after every four or five years, we get to throw the scoundrels out. (laughs) (laughs) When you think about somebody wielding power, you think, well, wait a minute, that power will corrupt them. And we see that throughout the history of the world. So then what are we to make of the one here described in this psalm? The Lord, Yahweh, who has absolute people and rules over his people. And yet all of his people are like sheep who have gone astray and rebelled. What are we to make of this? My first thought is it doesn't bring me comfort because usually, when a ruler has absolute power and he finds that their subjects, that his subjects have rebelled against them, what happens to them? They get killed. They get destroyed. This ruler that has all this power, all this authority, to find that all of his subjects who are supposed to be loyal to him have rebelled against him, what usually happens? They get killed. Well, I guess it all depends on the character of the one who has all that power. Because we know from a biblical perspective, we would disagree with Lord Acton. It's not just power that corrupts. It's our own sinful hearts. So it's not just that someone has absolute power. It's the character that determines how that power will be used. So we need to ask ourselves, what is the character of God? This one who rules over all, that has all this power. What does he do? Does he just wipe everyone out? He could and should. But here's how God describes himself. Through his word, he tells us his character. One famous passage describing himself as a shepherd in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 through 11. Isaiah writes these words speaking from God go up to a high mountain O Zion herald the good news lift up your voice with strength O Jerusalem herald of good news lift it up fear not say to the cities of Judah behold your God behold the Lord comes with his might and his arm rules for him power his reward is with him and his recompense before him what will he do? He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them into his bosom, into his heart, and he will gently lead those that are with the young. This cannot be said of anyone else in history. This God, this transcendent God with all this power, and how does he use His power? To bring you into his heart and to lead you gently, even those who are with young, even those who are fragile. You see, the language throughout the Old Testament is God himself is the shepherd of Israel. And we, the, the covenant people of God, the Israelites would say, we're the sheep of his pasture, as it says in another psalm. He would use his power to provide for and to care for his people in spite of their sins. And we see ultimately that this is revealed in the promised one of God, the Jewish Messiah. This is ultimate, this care is ultimately realized in the New Testament. And if you could, would you turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, we see that all these promises made of the shepherd shepherding the people finds its fulfillment and Jesus and Jesus takes a hold of of this biblical language indeed he takes a hold of psalm 23 and I want you to know today that if you are to understand and experience Psalm 23, you need to see Jesus as taking hold of Psalm 23. For look at these words that would probably actually of, and did offend the Jewish hearer. For look at what Jesus says in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11 through 16. During a section of the famous I am statements that I know some of you are familiar with. And that term I am, also means, I am and there is no other. Jesus said, I am the door. I'm the gate. I am the bread. There is no other. And here in John 10, he says, I am. There is no other. The good shepherd. And immediately everyone would know what he's talking about. He's claiming deity. He's claiming to be God. Everything spoken of, of God as shepherd. Jesus claims for himself here. I am the good shepherd And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf come and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And he says it again, I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold beyond Israel. And I must bring them in also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And I want you to feel right now, I want you to Feel the magnitude of this. If our hearts are to be moved and comforted, you must go there with me right now. Jesus spoke these words against this Old Testament background as God describing himself as shepherd. Most people in Israel would know the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus says, you don't need to go up to heaven to find the shepherd's care. Come to me. I am the shepherd. As the Jewish Messiah, all the scriptures were to be now radically reinterpreted in light of Jesus. So he's saying to these people, I'm the embodiment of all the characteristics of God, for I am God. If you want to understand God, he said, come to me. If you want to understand the shepherd's care, come to me. I am the ruler of the people of God. I am the sovereign The only way though that this shepherd, the ruler with absolute power and holiness could be good to his sheep and still remain just is if he dealt with their sin, is if the shepherd dealt with their lostness. And he tells us, his mission here, he says, I am the good shepherd. And one of the ways in which you know that I'm not just a good shepherd, but I'm the good shepherd is I came to lay my life down for the sheep. I give my life for the sheep. And this was something foreshadowed in the Old Testament. Zechariah told us that there would be this, this shepherd. In the midst of evil shepherds, there would be this good shepherd. But the shepherd would be put to death, and whose death would indicate a turning point in history. David himself, the author of the 23rd Psalm, knew what it was like to protect the sheep. He knew the dangers, he knew the wolves, he knew the the elements, and he knew the nature and character of the sheep. They're stupid. I don't want to offend you, but I mean to offend you. I mean, we are like sheep, indicating we're stupid. David knew all this. And so many times he had to risk his life to save the sheep. I mean, that's the picture I like to see in the children's Bible. Is the shepherd, you know, climbing on the mountain and wolves everywhere. And he's got his rod and he's grabbing the sheep. No curly haired, blue eyed David for me. I want to see the shepherd risking his life because is that not a better picture of what the gospel tells us? Now David knew what it was like to risk his life for the sheep, but Jesus did not only risk his life, he gave his life for the sheep. How could he do this? How could the shepherd do this? The way in which he did this was not by using his power But by laying aside his power, the shepherd came to save the sheep through his weakness. And the unthinkable happened. The unthinkable happened. The shepherd became a sheep. The shepherd became like us. And himself was killed for sin. As we're told that Jesus stood before his accusers and it was fulfilled as a lamb before its shearers was silent, so he opened not his mouth. The perfect, innocent, spotless lamb. Because of sin and the sacrifice necessary for it, he could not save his sheep and his own life at the same time. That's what most shepherds would do. Save the sheep and their own life. And Jesus knew that there was no other way. He said, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But Jesus knew there was no way to save himself and the sheep at the same time. He must give his life. The shepherd becoming as a sheep, giving up his life for them. It is no coincidence to me that Psalm 23 is preceded by Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 is known as the psalm of the cross, where we hear those wretched, horrible words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which Jesus himself said on the cross when he bore the wrath and penalty of our sin. We see him embodying that psalm. That's why it's known as the psalm of the cross for David Describes his own horrible experience, which only foreshadows Jesus' horrible experience. It is no coincidence to me that Psalm 22, the Psalm of the Cross, comes before Psalm 23, the Psalm of the Shepherd. For before the Shepherd can give you and give me his care, he had to go through Psalm 22, where there are no still waters, there is no pasture he bore it himself. And he said, not only do I lay my life down for those in the house of Israel, I have sheep which are not of this fold, which of course refers to the nation. So do you see what's happening here? In John 10, he takes this old covenant promise of Psalm 23, which doesn't belong to most of you in this room. If it were not for Jesus, I have no right to find comfort in Psalm 23. Psalm 23. But Jesus, he grabs hold of these promises. He says, I am the shepherd, lays down his life for me and for you. He comes to gather people from outside this fold, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And through his sacrifice, he blows the doors open to anyone and everyone in the world. These promises that were enjoyed by David in the covenant of God are now for every dirty, rotten Gentile like me. I have sheep which are not of this fold. And I'm blowing open the doors so that these Jewish blessings can now belong to anyone who trusts in me. Psalm 23 can belong to anyone who trusts in me. The apostle Peter says in light of the gospel in his epistle in 1 Peter 2, 25, he says, for you, all of us were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And in the end of his letter, he refers to Jesus as the chief shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. He brings sheep from everywhere. You know, Some of you don't even know why you're in church today. You're here because the shepherd is calling you. You are lost. You're like the sheep that does not know its way does not know his way, does not know her way. And Jesus is here to say, come. I've made a way. I've blown open the doors for you to enjoy the blessings of Psalm 23. Return to the overseer of your soul. Maybe those of you that have known this, you've you've strayed from the shepherd. You know this. You're like, I could recite Psalm 23 and you stray. And occasionally every now and again, you're in the thicket and you just kind of peek out to see, make sure the shepherd still exists. And he says, come to me. He says, return. I'm the one that died for you. I'm the one that oversees and watches and cares for your soul. Come to me. Doesn't need to be in the valley of the shadow of death, but it might be. He says come to me. You cannot experience the comfort of Psalm 23 without coming to Jesus. For he says come to me for the comfort of Psalm 23. I mean if you're here and you don't and you don't believe in God and yet you love Psalm 23, at least be consistent and don't have it read at your funeral. To be perfectly honest, to experience this comfort, you must come to Jesus. And as we return to Him, lastly, to experience a psalm, we find comfort. But it is comfort through His care. It's not some vague, abstract comfort, it is the comfort of a risen, living Lord. For Jesus was not only killed, He rose again. And He offers and He extends His care and comfort. every one of us David said the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want or I shall lack nothing you know most of us are asking today God how can I trust you and I, I just hope that you've seen already or we'll see in a few moments the question is not how can I trust you it's why won't I trust you I mean, do we see what a weird position that is? Here's God who's never been unfaithful to one single human being for all eternity. Here's us, unfaithful, rebellious, lost, and if I might add, stupid sheep, and we're like, how can I trust you? That's like, I was trying to think of an example so ridiculous to illustrate this point. It's like a a robber and a thief who's stolen money from banks all his life, and then he wants to go deposit his investment in a bank and goes, I don't know if I can trust you. And the banker might say, well, isn't it the other way around? I mean, the question is not how can I trust you, God? It's it's why won't I trust you? And the reason we have his word, the, the reason we are to hear his word is so that we can see what he's done for us, to see his provision, to see the care that God gives to us, even in this psalm. How did God use his power? When you ask that question, how can I trust you? Let me ask you, how did God use his power? He used his absolute power and holiness to save you, to seek you and to save you so you can have confidence in the shepherd for everything else. And is there not a great joy in understanding his commitment to us? Psalm 23 isn't about your trust in God. It's about his commitment to you. Isn't that wonderful? It's not about God. I'm going to really do it for you this time. I'm going to really... And I know probably some of you in well-meaning, you've come to church and you've come because you're going to show God how good you're going to be. And God says, I want to tell you how committed I am to you. I want to show you how absolutely I am committed to you. When you pass through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be there. When you lack, I will provide. You will dwell in my house forever. There is a great joy in understanding God's commitment to us. And I don't know about you, but right now, I know for my dear brother, Britt, I know for myself, I know for most of you in this room, my prayers do not consist of how good and faithful I've been to God. I rest everything. I put all my chips on God's commitment to me. Because I can be in shambles. I am like the sheep. God, if you don't watch me right now, if you're not comforting me right now, I'm gone. If you're not guiding me through this, I'm out. I can't do this. I mean, I don't know what you think of when you think of pastors' prayers as waxing eloquent and and perfect theologically, but my prayers, I know for some of you that have been very similar, my prayers is God, you're my shepherd. You're my shepherd. Shepherd me. I don't know what else to say. I'm lost without you. I have nothing without you. And when I read Psalm 23, It's a Psalm about God. It's a Psalm about his commitment to me. I know we usually think of Christianity in terms of my commitment to Jesus. This one's about God's commitment to you. When you think about a ruler, you usually think in terms of the people's commitment to the ruler and yet the tables are turned. This is about the ruler's commitment to you. And David said, because of this, I rejoice. I shall lack nothing. David was a good Jewish boy. He knew his Torah. He knew the first five books of the Bible when God brought the children out of Egypt and they were struggling and God said, did you lack anything? I mean, God wants to remind his people. He wants to remind you. When I brought you out of Egypt, he would want to remind you today. When I brought you out of the power of sin, Satan, death, and demons, did you lack anything? I'm just asking. And you will say, no, Lord, I lack nothing. The joy and comfort of this psalm first of all, comes in the form of assurance. Notice David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Do you see how profound that is? There's no hesitation there. David doesn't say, I hope he's my shepherd. I mean, I thought about it right before I walked up to the pulpit. Maybe we could rewrite Psalm 23 with like a hesitating affirmation and see what kind of hope you find. I hope the Lord is my shepherd. I'd like to think that maybe if I didn't have anything, he might be there. I mean, gosh, it would be nice if my soul was restored. Let me ask you, that's stupid. Would you find comfort in that? No. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. Notice David is claiming that the Lord is my shepherd. What's his assurance found in? In his belonging to God. That's where our assurance is found in, friends. When you're down in the pit of despair, you just. You just say, I belong to you. I'm yours. Can you say that today? Spurgeon said the sweetest word in this psalm is my. Martin Luther said that a term that describes Christianity is personal pronouns. It's not the Lord is just some other person's shepherd. Not the Lord is our shepherd, although those are true. But the Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that today? there's a wonderful comfort in saying, I belong to God. When darkness comes and trials comes, you say, I belong to God. When I read the pages of scripture, I see God is absolutely committed to his people. And his people are whoever trusts in Jesus. So much so that whatever happens in your life right now, if you are under the care of the shepherd, is under his control, is under his guidance. And we can have confidence in him because of his commitment to us. And we see ourselves as sheep in God's flock. You see, in John 10, what did he describe This the sheep doing? The the sheep would be known as those who, who knew his voice. So, the security of the sheep is bound up in the character of the shepherd. And as you read Psalm 23, we see Jesus. And the comfort also comes in the form of provision. He says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall lack nothing. I shall lack nothing. He has power, He has provisions. I mean, think of the logic there. How can we want? How can we lack if he is everything? It's actually very logical. If God, who owns everything, who possesses everything, and through the gospel, I possess God, I lack nothing. I Many of you thought about it like that. I get God, and if God controls the cosmos, do you lack Similar words we see in the New Testament when Paul said, If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, Paul was very realistic. He said, People want to kill you and they'll talk bad about you and you will go through times of famine and nakedness and difficulty. But if God be for us, then we know that all things are working together for good. One of the ways in which we are reminded of his provision is when we seem to lack certain provision. And I know some of you are experiencing that right now. You're asking, where is God? These are hard words, but if I was always full, I would never realize my need for God. And sometimes God allows my awareness of my need for him, which is my greatest need. And even though at times we seem to lack something, we're told in the Bible that God promised not that we wouldn't lack stuff, He says, we would lack no good thing. Do you know what that means? It means that whatever is going on in your life right now, even if we cannot see it, we lack no good thing. It means that God is working it for good. And I will not not lack anything necessary to go through it. One of the ways which we know he is all we need is when he is all we have. God uses his absolute power and care to commit to you, to provide for you. Jesus said to his disciples, probably some of the most beautiful words I've ever read in the Bible, he says to his idiot disciples, fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. The Holy Spirit wants to speak that to you right now. Fear not, little member of my flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And I think some of you showed up thinking that you have to wrestle it away from God. Like, God, oh, if I just was good enough, if I just was good enough. I'd like to read to you one of the greatest promises in the Bible, Romans 8.32. Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give you all things? God wants to speak to you right now. If I, the shepherd, gave my own son, do you think I'd really withhold something from you right now that you really needed? Do you you think that? Look at my son. I didn't spare him for you. And David's conclusion is I shall not lack. He has hope for the future. Assurance, provision, and hope. I shall. Even if it seems I'm lacking right now, I shall not lack. You remember his provision in the past through the cross of Jesus Christ and it will give you hope for the future. And you know what we see in the future? We continue to see the shepherd And as you read the pages of Revelation, you will find words like this. Revelation 7, 17. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to the springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The shepherd will be faithful to bring in men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation and he won't let you go. And there will be a day when that shepherd who became as the lamb who was slain, as he's gathered you together to himself, he'll wipe away every tear from your eye. There was a famous theologian who when he was young was a chaplain for the church of scotland in the army in 1944 and in the midst of death in his biography he comes upon a man who was mortally wounded who was dying in war in the midst of world war ii and that man saw the chaplain and he cried out to him pastor the pastor came over to him and the man had enough breath to say one last sentence he said pastor is god really like jesus And the pastor was pleased to say, yes, he is. He who has seen Jesus has seen the Father. The shepherd of Psalm 23 is Jesus. Can you say today he is my shepherd? If not, come to him right now and experience him for the first time. Or maybe you've strayed. You're here today because he's seeking you. Come back to him. He's already paid the price for your sin. And if he is your shepherd, come to him for provision. Come to him in prayer even now as we worship and pray. It's his good pleasure to give you what you need. What if we were to come to prayer right now believing that, like Jesus said, if if what we prayed for, if it was in accordance to his will, he would actually give it to us. He's so committed to us. We need not doubt that as we look to the cross. Father, we pray right now that your Holy Spirit would show to each man and woman the tangible arms of the shepherd, waiting, inviting, I pray for those, if they've not come to you as the shepherd, yet they cannot enjoy the rest of Psalm 23, I pray that they would come to you. And I pray for those that are straying. I know that they're here. That they would end this season of straying and being wayward and they would come to you right now as you woo them and draw them to yourself. I pray for the rest of us that we would come to you for provision you will give us. We shall not lack. You did not spare your own son for us. And I pray that we would see your goodness and respond in worship. That we would not come to Psalm 23 right now, that we would come to Jesus right now and worship. For we pray it in his name. Amen. Communion. As you celebrate it today, remember the shepherd who laid down his life for you. Remember that he did not spare his own son. How much more will he graciously give you everything? And as we come to pray, whatever campus you're at, come and pray with these men and women. He's your heavenly father and he loves you. And he's saying to me, come. He's saying to you, come. Come and ask God with confidence because he's absolutely committed to you. And because he is so, may we worship him, church. Can we worship the good shepherd, the beautiful shepherd who's given us everything, who comforts us and guides us. Let us come to Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit right now and worship him as the beautiful shepherd whose good pleasure is to give you the flock. Amen. Let's worship the good shepherd right now.